I believe the room is in private mode, Amin. I'm going to try to make this public. Okay. And we are live. Welcome to the House of Strauss. God, I'm so happy. Actually, I'm lying. I'm not very happy to have him in here. Let me tell you why before he eventually joins. Uh, I'm not happy to have him here because, because he's going to operate like an ombudsman on one of my articles. And what I hate most of all about this is that I think he has a point. I hate it. I had Nate Duncan on here. Nate was uh, critiquing an article. He was disagreeing. I didn't give him an inch, not an inch, not out of peak, not out of stubbornness, but because I thought I was right. I didn't have anything to apologize for. But in this case, I think Amin might have a point. And not only that, I know Amin well enough to know that my generosity in this respect earns me nothing. If anything, uh, it's a shark smelling blood. Uh, it, it is kindness taken as weakness. Uh, Amin, are you there? Are you unmuted? Can you can you join in on this? You know, should I be as as fearful as fearful as I am going into this? Oh, I've been talking this whole time. I'm like, wow, he's just really just steamrolling me here. Not gonna... <laughs> okay, I've become uh, I've become Jim Rome. I mean, I've become Jim Rome. Welcome, welcome to it. Uh, we're gonna talk about some other stuff. You know, a veritable buffet, you know, wherever you want to go, whatever topic you want to touch on. There are a range of them. You know, we got the Flores Rooney Rule NFL mess. We've got uh, Liz. Is it Cambridge or Cambridge? I only read it. I never hear it. Uh, (laughs) Taking a shot at uh, Becky Hammond. We've got I just wanted to throw the Cleveland as all-star city thing at you. You know, I didn't know if you wanted to uh, troll our uh, beloved Midwestern listeners, but I thought that might be a good one. We can take it any direction, I mean. But uh, first of all, how you doing? Well, I- I'm fine. I-, I am curious, though. I want to know what it was that Nate Duncan took umbrage, or is it umbrage? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Did I uh, take umbrage with you about? that you refused to back down on. Oh, it was about my Nike's end of men article. And he did not <laughs> think that the articles were necessarily anti-men uh, slash anti-masculinity and that I was going too far with it. I responded that they literally were. And it just seems like you're not supposed to read. You're not supposed to read the text as text. You're supposed to read the text as subtext. I still I still think that's the case. It's what they were going for, especially with some of the European ads. But, you know, bottom line, Nate's a formidable opponent. I mean, he's a formidable opponent. I felt like, you know, you can't you can't get he's a lawyer. God damn it. You can't give him an inch. Yeah, no, I think like you always got to be handicapped in that point, right? Like, hey, he's a lawyer. This guy went to school for this. I'm just arguing. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's difficult. And uh, yeah, in this case. Uh, maybe I should do some expository for the good people listening is, you know, I don't know if everybody listening necessarily reads everything I do. I wrote something about the coverage of Aaron Rodgers, and really it was about Colin Cowherd because I was struck by the difference in focus from Colin Cowherd after the superstar 
quarterback Aaron Rodgers flamed out of the playoffs against the Niners and how it was just a tsunami of uh, vaccine jokes because Rodgers has rejected the vaccine and he has been on something of a, uh, I don't know if it's a media tour about it, but he's been talking a lot. He called up ESPN the night before the game, which regardless of the content of what he said, I don't think is advisable before a big playoff game to do a 26 minute interview. Um, and so that was the focus in the jeering at Rogers. And it was just the only joke anybody was making that night. Uh, and I, it was reflected in the coverage, maybe not to a large degree. And we can get into that. Um, and my point was that Colin Cowherd ignores all that stuff, sidesteps all that stuff, and is devastating just focused on Rodgers through the prism of football and a football team as somebody who is prickly, as somebody who is arrogant, as somebody who is non-trusting. And you could see it perhaps, if you believe his argument, reflected in the game. And I actually think that he tilted the coverage, Cowherd did, and more people started to take it to more of a football direction. So that's the argument that I was making. I was saying that, the media is almost too polluted with narratives they favor that are in the political realm. And it's influencing how they talk about the people in the sport. And it's making them incapable of even seeing some of the bad things about the people they hate. So that's the point I was making. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, the thing that I thought you kind of missed out on, or you're not to say that what you're saying is incorrect, but, the column you wrote was uh, Aaron Rodgers loses. Oh, look at all of these media people making the same five jokes on Twitter about, oh, you know, I guess he thought he had a shot, but he didn't. Oh, you know, and all, all those kind of, you know, COVID vaccine uh, yeah. jokes or puns or whatever. But meanwhile, Colin Cowherd was breaking down the game. And I said, but Ethan, you're comparing two things that are not the same. You're comparing... On the one hand, you're taking a bunch of tweets that are clearly made in jest, even if there's a venom and a vitriol behind it, versus someone's actual content that they made. And and it's important here to differentiate that, like, at least when you were talking about sports analysis by people who do this for a living. We're not talking about people on Twitter. We're not talking about influencers. We're talking about people who have radio shows, or podcasts, or are writers who cover this sport, either this sport specifically or are sports generalists, right? Like, Mm. like a Colin, what you tweet and little seven second memes and stuff like that, GIFs, that's not content. Like the content you create when you're in one of those positions is something you wrote, wrote, not something you tweeted, something you wrote or your radio show or your podcast or like something that is, considered content that I'm going to put out there. Mm. And what you were doing was you were conflating the two. You were saying, look at all these guys. I hate Aaron Rodgers. Oh my God. All they did was do jokes. Meanwhile, look at Colin. He was so serious. But like, those are two (laughs) different things right now. If you had taken now, if I'm just pulling a random, let me just pull a random name because everyone gets antsy whenever you say real names. Howard Cosell wrote a (laughs) 500 page column about how, Aaron Rodgers lost because he didn't want to get vaccinated. That's different. Now you can start saying, well, look, Howard Cosell, you were while you were doing this, and that was all off base, Colin Cowherd was doing that, and that was really on point. But you didn't do that. You took Howard Cosell's tweets with the, you know, like, you know, I don't know, 
uh, Calvin and Hobbes pissing on something. Like, <laughs> and it's like, see, he's not good at all. His analysis is flawed. And I said to you, that's not analysis. That's just people having fun on Twitter, regardless of what their intentions were so, behind it. So, so I think that's a fair critique. I think it's a fair criticism. I could have gone oh. with some articles people wrote, but I do think your point that it is somewhat compartmentalized is a fair point, but then it leads me to ask, what is the tweeting for for sports media? No, it's it's it's. Well, I mean, like it's it's all the things that you suspect it to be. Is it part virtue signaling? Is it part trying to uh, you know uh, attract an audience that that you you know or grow an audience? Is is all those things? But what it isn't isn't something that you can compare. And I think the thing I actually texted you was there are two separate ideas. One is they these media people quote, hate him. The other is this was lazy analysis, which is what you were calling. You said this is lazy analysis. I said, Ethan, that's not their analysis. That's their joke. He said, Well, well, that's what they think anyway. I said, Well, then you need to go find the articles where they wrote it and said this is what they think. You can't take the tweets and build a bridge based on them. And, and to be perfectly honest here, in a, in a mm. moment of disclosure, like the reason why I went hard at you about that was because. I know when I tweet, 99% of my shit is not serious. I don't give a shit. It's like, hey, have you ever noticed that uh, so-and-so, oh, like, oh, Kevon Looney's only 27 years old? How is this possible? Like, Kevon Looney, like, that's not my analysis of the game. Yeah. That's me dicking around on Twitter. And I would hate for someone to say, oh, look, this is his analysis of the game. I mean, dicking around on how he didn't even know how old Kevon Looney was. Like, really? <laughs> you think that's, that's the important takeaway here? I'm making a joke, obviously, and so I, I always make it a point to clarify the team. Someone making a joke and someone actually giving you this is their analysis of the situation. Yeah, I, I think the people who were more about the pure analysis, especially in football, uh, were sticking to that for the most part. But there is something to, it's a diffusion of responsibility. I feel like that might be the theme of tonight's show, because... This whole thing overshadowed the discussion of Aaron Rodgers. And the question is, is that the fault of Aaron Rodgers? Or is it that is that the fault of a sports media that wants sports to be about something bigger and gets bored with sports and does what I do? I talk about all the cultural issues, so I'm definitely part of the problem. So it, it seemed like that whole saga, it almost became this weird... I don't know if I would, would call it a distraction, but it got kind of ridiculous after a while, the whole thing. And it seemed as though, it really did seem as though, I mean, like a lot of the sports media hated him. They hated him and he hated them. There was mutual hatred and it wasn't exactly sports pertinent. What do you make of that situation? Uh, it, that may or may not be true. And, and, and I think there are, this is where the lines are blurred, where it's like, yes, I believe that, when sports figures inject themselves into arenas other than sports, sports writers have carte blanche to go over there and, and write about it and challenge some of those ideas and, you know, and be critical. That's, I don't have a problem with that. But obviously, when they're busy doing their actual sports stuff, then you need to go back to doing your actual sports stuff, too. Right. And, th and that's the that's the reality there is that, like, not, no matter how much you don't like and Rogers stand, and you can be vocal about it. I'm not saying you have to swallow it and and be quiet about it, but it's like when it comes to him playing football at that point, unless 
something happens. Like, and then he coughed on his offensive line, and his offensive line caught COVID, and he was out for the game. Like, okay, that's a situation where, like, it's now injected itself into the field of play. But if it hasn't, you kind of you got to leave that stuff alone to the side while you are discussing his play or why he lost or whatever. Again, I maybe I'm not as diverse a consumer of content as you are, but it would seem to me most of the analysis about Aaron Rodgers was about Aaron Rodgers not winning a big one again. Mm. Like with this analysis that existed prior to this whole season of of him fall for his fall from grace. Um so I didn't find it to be overtly anti Aaron Rodgers. I do think he gets more of a of a roasting, if you will, than other COVID deniers or whatever, because unlike many other these people, he was the beloved one, right? He was the <laughs> C. Like, oh, you're getting like, okay. Now we're getting into some interesting media psychology here. Okay, no, I right. like this. Yeah, yeah. The idea, the idea that he was the one that wasn't like these other football players. He has interest, guys. He likes Jeopardy. <laughs> he goes out with Shailene Woodley, and guess what? She's never even watched football. Boom! Blow your Neanderthal minds up with that one. <laughs> Wait, what's that? He doesn't believe in a vaccine. Oh, hold on. Bro, I, I was looking. I was standing up for you, man. I was standing up for you. Oh, and, yes. In so oh, many yes. ways. In many ways, like 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 the, the the COVID has created the weirdest bedfellows, right? Like <laughs> these crazy alliances. It's like, oh, you know, the people who twelve months ago were like, fuck Aaron Rodgers, he's not a he's not a winner, da da da. Now they're like, yeah, Aaron Rodgers is my kind of guy, right? Same thing I think like Ted Cruz is like, you know what, Bradley Beal, you I like the cut of your gym. Like, oh, and like don't don't do that, man. Like, but that's what that's what happens, right? You have to watch out when you say stuff. Who you oh, align yourself the with? The craziest one is Kyrie Irving. Really almost, I mean, just the most left-wing causes, and we call it that, and then doesn't want the vaccine and is being hailed as a hero by Fox News commentators. And it's just, just because he doesn't want the vaccine, this is, this is bizarre. <laughs> this is yeah. completely, this is completely uh, contingent on whatever just happened yesterday, but I want to I want to dwell on what you're saying, and eventually we might, you know, Rogers. He lost, you know, the Super Bowls upon us. We can we can move on to other topics, but I do find it fascinating because I felt like I was identifying what you were identifying, which is that they looked at Rogers as as he's just like us. He's mm-hmm. he's our guy, and then it turned out that Rogers preferred people they saw as their natural enemies. The barstool people Rogers was with, for instance, and and liked uh, Portnoy and all that, and then Rogan, and so I don't know what you call them. If you call them the blue check people, if you call them the prestige media, suddenly there was this impulse to prove that we're actually smarter than he is. Like it was almost they were embarrassed, and I, I think our guy Pablo disagreed. Was was I don't know if he called him dumb, but something like that. Rogers, I think, is a flawed guy. I don't think he's stupid. I don't think he's dumb. I think that is an incorrect analysis of of who he is and what he is. But I felt as though there was almost this impulse, an embarrassed impulse to say, uh, he wasn't even really smart to begin with. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I think, I think, you know, I think 
there is a level of i mean how do you how do you measure smart right <laughs> like, yeah like, you know like that's it, how, it's again like, it's, it's like it's like, vague i mean like aaron Rodgers is somebody who can process information and digest it quickly and do problem solving well well yeah he can as long as it comes within 100 yards and and a no, but he's got the good SAT. He's got the good GPA. He's got that stuff. And I know people will say, I, I that's not, yeah, I'm just saying my thing, that. My thing is this. The, the process within which they decided he was smart is just as flawed as the process within which they decided he was dumb. Mm. Right? It's like, it's like you, you, were, you were so off base in calling him smart just because what? Because, again... He's like, he has a life outside of football. Like that was like, think about the things that we deemed him to be. Do you think people who like Jeopardy are smart? Do you think that that makes, like, that's the kind of thing. It always tickles me. It's like, wait, because someone likes Jeopardy, that makes them smart. That's that's your definition of smart. Because <laughs> they like really? to watch other people be smart. I mean, that may, that's how I know I'm great at football is I watched football last week. <laughs> right? And so so it's like they had a flawed process all the way up. And then it's like, yeah, of course, that's not a good check and balance to, to make sure someone's smart. So when he, he espouses literally one opinion, and I get it, it's a rather big, devastating opinion, but it's one opinion nonetheless that they disagreed with, instantly it means he's dumb. And it's funny, like all the things that they hate the other side for, right? Like, for instance, like a Ted Cruz co-op, trying to, attempting to co-op a Kyrie and Bradley Beal based off of one opinion that they just express right even though they have a, a like a lifetime of other opinions that Ted Cruz has fought tooth and nail to oppose, right? That's exactly what you're doing. When you say, oh man, Aaron Rodgers doesn't like the vaccine, guess what? Fuck you, Aaron Rodgers. I'm not with you at all. And you're stupid. And that you're doing the same you obvious like in, in the negative sense, it's like you're taking someone's one opinion that contradicts your thought process and invalidating a lifetime of things that you did agree with, which is basically the pull up, you know, the other side of the coin that Ted Cruz is taking the one opinion that he does agree with and invalidating a lifetime of things that he didn't agree with. Yeah. It's completely, completely insane. Well, Hey, I, I thought it was a fair criticism of the article. I don't normally do it. I think it's funny. I, I know that you, I know that you're, <laughs> <laughs> you're just not sensitive at all. You're just firing off text to me in the morning, ripping apart my article, not knowing how uh, neurotic the standard writer is. But, you know, typically I don't try to do self-criticism. I mean, not just for myself. By the way, what are you doing? Are you like, uh, are, you, are you fixing a bike? What is that? I'm, yeah, I'm underneath my, uh, my bathroom sink here. <laughs> Sorry. Ah, but I was saying one of the reasons I don't go too in for the, for the self-criticism is Mm -hmm. because if somebody liked it as a reader, I don't want to ruin it for them. You know what I mean? (laughs) Hold on. Yeah. That doesn't make sense. (laughs) Wait, this is amazing. Hold on. Your thought process here is like, well, I wouldn't want to ruin the reading experience if someone. <laughs> hey, hey, if if somebody liked it, every now and again I'll write something and I'll look back and I'll think. I mean, for the most part, I like what I write. Otherwise, I wouldn't put it out there. But I'll think like, ah, I screwed this or that up. 
And this would happen more so back in the day as opposed to now. Now I, I choose what I say. It doesn't happen as much. But if somebody liked it, I don't want to disabuse them of that. If I see them, because I've, I've run into people, of course, and they say, oh, I like this or I like that. And I, you've got that instinct to start shitting on it and go, well, yeah, but hey, if they liked it, they liked it. Why, why fuck it up for them? I, I don't. I mean, I don't know. I think I don't know. I, you know, I, to, if I'm trying to answer this seriously, I don't. You know what? On the one hand, I would think, yeah, like you, a reader, a discerning reader, would respect the idea that when confronted with some information that not invalidates but challenges yeah. what I I thought, I'm willing and I'm open to absorb it and kind of look, think through it and adjust my stance. On the other hand, does that undermine your credibility moving forward? Mm. Next time you have an opinion, like, well, let's just wait till Amin reads this one. <laughs> <laughs> See what other holes he can poke through. <laughs> I, I don't take my PR strategy all that seriously, but it is a thought that crosses my mind sometimes. I do believe that people when they respond to critics on Twitter, um, they almost open up their audience to new ways to hate them that the audience wouldn't have even known about. So by defending yourself, it's almost uh, like when you, you catch on fire and the person pats themselves down and it just spreads everywhere. So I do think that's something that happens in social media. Yeah, speaking of social media responses, some dude tweeted, oh, cool, an iOS only app. Like this thing where people complain about the app, like I, you know, I didn't develop this. Like, <laughs> hey, I think I hear down the road, but uh, I we got to get a question in from Scott. He he just wins me over with the uh, the baby, and uh, you know, oh. uh, he, he might have something. He might have something for us. Let's see, Scott, Scott, Scott on the landline. Hey, landline is Mecula. Hey, Scott, how you doing? Hey, well, first off, I mean, how dare you? Kevon Looney is not 27 years old. The The Cherubic Center is 25 years old. It's like turning, unbelievable. Uh, turning 26 in a few days. I unbelievable. Guess, uh, it's I always thought it was, how we can look that way. Cherubic. It's another name. Cherubic. Oh, that. that I don't know. I don't know. It's another one it. of those. Uh, That's I've more Ethan words, so I'd probably uh, yield to him on that. But nah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say indictment instead of indictment. I'm not good at the phonetics, but you were saying so, that. So does Robert Sarver. Yeah, so I... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, speaking of Robert Sarver, uh, I mean, wanted to get your take on Steve Kerr's comparison of Kuminga to Sean Marion, since you oh. obviously have a unique connection there. So wow. know what you thought. Uh Great question. Yeah, I mean, it, it, obviously there are a lot of similarities there when you talk about the size and the athleticism. Particularly, Sean had one of the quickest second jumps that I think when they measured it, it was like ridiculous. His ability to jump, land, and then jump again was so much faster than so many other people. that He used to like shoot shots that he knew he would not make just because he knew he could jump and land and jump again, grab the rebound and go back up with it before anyone could react. So... Uh, Kuminga definitely has those traits. Obviously, Sean was, I think, a junior when he came out, and Kuminga's 19 years old, uh, so he's a lot roar. Uh, Sean, uh, by the time he got to the NBA, had a very unorthodox game that he had just kind of 
built his whole confidence around. So there was no, there wasn't much they could do. I mean, the, the jump shot, I guess, is the the most glaring part of that, like where how he, how he shot the ball. But he'd gotten that far doing it. At that point, it was too late for him to try to do anything else. Plus, I don't think he felt comfortable, like, at being vulnerable like that, saying, hey, my, my stroke wasn't great or whatever. Kuminga, obviously, he's younger, and he's kind of gone through it first to ignite, you know, playing against grown men, and now, obviously, he's a rookie on a really good team. So there's an opportunity there for him to be more refined and more skilled in a way that Sean really never never had that shot by the time right. he got to the NBA. I, I would interject. Am I wrong if I'm interpreting that maybe not as the greatest compliment? Just because... I know by rumor that Marion, not reputed to be a bad guy, but reputed to be a little bit difficult, a bit of a diva, uh, maybe not the greatest of teammates. Is is this something if I am if I'm a Kaminga booster that I should be concerned about, or I'm overthinking it and it's just a player comp? Yeah, I, I would be shocked if. Steve Kerr is com- comparing Kaminga in the press to Sean Marion and in his mind saying, oh, y'all thought because he was athletic? No, I meant because <laughs> he, he, he listens to his agent all the time and, he, you know, he's so difficult and, he, and he'll, like, nuke a trade that will have an opportunity to get a top 50 player who can help us. <laughs> like, I don't think he's talking like that. Like, I just, I don't think Steve would do that out loud. Mm. So I have to assume he's just talking about him as a player. And again, like, you're right, Sean was, I mean, Sean's a good dude. Uh, he's a likable dude. I think he was insecure, and I think he had people around him who knew that and preyed upon that insecurity to make him more difficult than what he actually was. I think in another world, like Sean would have been surrounded by people who were encouraging and positive, and and he would have been happy. It, like that's I guess that's the thing. Like he would have been happy, and that was something that he wasn't in Phoenix towards the end. And that kind of hastened his departure. Yeah. Amin is referencing the great power agent, Dan Fagan. Eventually, I will finish my article on the life and times of Dan Fagan. Maybe the maybe the smartest agent to ever do it. Maybe the greatest agent to ever do it. Uh, but a Machiavellian. I mean, talk about not being able to pronounce words. Uh, a Machiavellian figure, Machiavellian, whatever. Uh, eventually, eventually, I will get that. Uh, we got Grant in the queue. Grant. Grant, Grant, Grant. I am, I am unmuted. I am unmuted. Fantastic. I mean, great to have you on the call in. Ethan, also excited to call in. Um, so question on this. So I want to talk a little NBA versus NFL. Um, I think that Ethan has gone over this point, but when you watch the NFL, it's like big storylines, Rodgers, Niners, you know, big teams play big teams. And with the NBA, it's like very fractalized. It doesn't have the regional appeal. I was wondering, like, if this is related to the LeBron of it all. Mm. I think this this rate, like, this, like, uprising came pretty subsequently with the rise of social media, Twitter. LeBron is, like, very much the first Twitter athlete. But there was a moment where LeBron started losing NBA Finals. He started not adding up. And there was a concentrated media effort, both, like, in what you would consider the media and then also social media with the Twitter stands of it all. That wanted him to be the goat. If his accomplishments didn't entirely line up, so for example, like you watch, you know, the jump or one of these, and you see a bunch of ex-LeBron acolytes, you know, 
ranging from Kendrick Perkins to Richard Jefferson, even Dante Jones has segments just disparaging Steph. You see Maverick Carter come out and say that he could get buckets on Steph. While these things are antithetical to the idea of the LeBron goat ship, which a lot of people are very financially and emotionally invested in. My point is, did like the LeBron goat narrative poison the NBA narrative sphere to a point that it hurt the greater narrative when the NFL is more focused on the actual game as well. The LeBron media told you the games don't matter. Who wins championships does, doesn't matter. LeBron's the GOAT even if he loses the you know, 14, 15, 17, 18 finals you know, in five years. Like, does that matter at all? No, he's the GOAT. So my point mm. is by telling people that up is down for so long, it's kind of ruined a lot of the linear narratives of the NBA. I'll, I'll go on mute. Well, so that so you said a lot. There is a lot there, and I'm thinking about it. I think there's something to the arc of LeBron. How, in many ways, he saved them from the post Michael Jordan doldrums. Kobe Bryant did too. Uh, a mean seven seconds or less out in Phoenix did as well. But LeBron. LeBron was just huge. And you take that journey, I think the least viewed NBA Finals after Jordan was 2007 with LeBron in it uh, against the Spurs, but then he builds up that legend. He builds up that name brand. He has the crazy story arc of going to South Beach and everybody hates him, but he wins. And then he comes back to Cleveland. He beats the Warriors, comes back from 3-1. And so he was an engine of NBA popularity. And he was so huge that I do think that his reputation management and ultimately his interest in managing his reputation uh, did infect the sport to a degree. And it's bigger than that. It's more than that. He was also a very effective businessman. He also understood his leverage in a way that I don't think any player had prior and he used it, and he was influential. And you had this the secondary problem. Um, people aren't necessarily in control of their own influence, but you had a secondary problem where everybody wanted to be like LeBron. Everybody wanted to sign the one-year deals. You had Anthony Davis on the shop with LeBron talking about, I need to see myself as a business. Well, the NBA can really thrive with LeBron perhaps seeing himself as a corporation, I don't know if it's the same thing when they've got 25 guys. So I guess what I'm saying, Grant, is that I think there's something to what you're saying that his reputation management may be trying to redefine greatness beyond winning however many titles, that there's something to that hurting the NBA's brand. But I think it's it's even bigger than that. And if I started talking about LeBron and LeBron's influence on the NBA, it just, I mean, I could spend 24 hours doing it, but uh, I mean, what do you think? Well, Amin has dropped off. Well, then I will add a little bit more commentary on the whole, on the whole LeBron situation, because I'm still thinking about it. There was a concerted effort from him, from Lynn Merritt, uh, his handler, if you will, uh, his, marketing rep Nike bigwig that he was going to find another means by which to supplant uh, Michael Jordan but I think it's also it became very player focused and the NBA always was but it became almost obsessively so to the point where I mean I'm watching I'm watching the game this weekend and it's the uh, I think it was the the Warriors versus the Nets and Jeff Van Gundy is going on about 
how just the all-star game's not for the fans that it's for the players just completely strange stuff and it it seems as though it's become tilted it's become tilted wrong one second let me see I'm inviting Amin to speak, and it's not totally working. Let me see if I can invite him as next caller, and it will actually work. Oh, there we go. There yeah, you go. That, that was Let's weird. Uh, uh, the, uh, feedback to the calling people. Let's not put the leave speakers and the mute button right next to each other. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm like, oops, my fat fingers hit the wrong button. Yeah, I, I think the, the, what Grant was asking about, I think mm-hmm. what is insinuating is a little bit more of a concerted effort than I think is what really, I think there's an inadvertent yeah, like cause and effect, but I don't think it's like, hey guys, yo, yo, let's get Perk, let's get RJ. Hey, here's the deal. Winning doesn't matter. Games don't matter. All that matters is uh, like whatever we want the narrative to be. Uh, that's not how this thing happens. And, and I don't even think that even from LeBron's standpoint, I think first of all, you got to start with long conversation today on the radio about like, yo, what is GOAT, man? How do you know? How can you tell? You tell me Michael Jordan is greater than LeBron. Why? 6-0 in the finals. 6-0 in the finals. All right. But he played 14 years in the league. So those other eight years, we just don't give a shit? If you're telling me that winning is the only thing and success is the only thing that matters, well, I'm going to tell you this dude, eight years in the league, he didn't go to the finals. And in those eight years, of those eight years, only once he went to the conference final. So seven years out of his 14-year career, he didn't even get past the second round. And you get deeper than that. The last two years, he didn't make the playoffs. The first year, he didn't make the playoffs. And a couple of first-round exits in there. So it's like, all right, well, what are we saying? All right, Maddie Johnson played in nine finals in 11 and a half seasons. I say half because one of them, he came back from HIV positive. Right, like to, to play, so it's kind of like, yeah, how how can I hold that against him? Bill Russell won eleven championships in thirteen years, but but played in an era where there was only eight teams in the league, right? And, and so on and so forth. Like you could do this with everybody. You know, it's like the old Tom Havisher articles. Like, yes, uh, they deserve an asterisk. I'll, I'll interject. So I, 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 don't you think the problem is less? Let's say even if there was this conspiracy of LeBron having his emissaries. And to a degree, I do think he pushes certain narratives, but it's not so organized. But isn't just the bigger problem him and the corniness with which he communicates and how he Instagrams, frankly, like a sorority girl and how you can almost feel the insecurity coming out of him, even though he's succeeded so much? You hear what you say, he Instagrams like a sorority girl, or is he Instagramming? Like people on Instagram. Ooh, I'm just like, old. That's he, yes. He Actually, he's my language. age. <laughs> he speaks, but he speaks the language. He speaks mm. the language, and so at some point you say, "Well, is he? Is he like? Oh, he's da da da, or is it like this? Is just the way things are now?" You know, I, <laughs> I remember when I was at All Star Weekend in Charlotte. Somebody asked, "Oh, it's Michael Wilbon." Michael Wilbon asked Michael Jordan. Hey, how do you feel about like this era? All these players are buddy buddy, and they're like they're texting each other all the time, and they're like you guys would have never done that. And Michael Jordan said, "Wilbon, like we couldn't do that." Mm. He said, like he's like Patrick was one of my best friends in the league. He said, "We play a game. I can't call Patrick until I get to a hotel room at least or at home, 
I got to pick up a landline. And I'm like, doo, 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 doo. hey, Patrick, how's it going? And I got to hope he's at home. And it's like, if I don't have a newspaper, I might not even know whether the Knicks are at home or on the road. So it's like, that wasn't even an option for us. If it was, can I say definitively that we wouldn't have done it? I don't like that. It's like, no, I can't. So it's like this, 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 there's always like this context to everything that happens that the sports talk, radio, barbershop, you know, bar argument, who's greater, LeBron? Like, it just, it doesn't have time for that. Like, oh, here comes a meme with facts and nuance. I don't want that. I just want to say LeBron would dunk all over Jordan. No, Jordan would win every time because that's what he does. Like, these are all dumb arguments, man. Now, the thing that Grant hit on definitely was the idea that the NFL seems to market their game and the NBA seems to market stories that have nothing to do with the game. The obsession yeah. of NBA media and NBA fans with transactions more than the actual game is detrimental, and that's something that has risen over the last decade or so. It, here's, here's, here's the hypothetical. We were talking Aaron Rodgers, right, and the whole vaccine thing. I, to my knowledge, I don't think that was mentioned on broadcast. And I feel like if, if Kyrie Irving had a big game and afterwards he said, you know, I had the big game, it's because I didn't take the vaccine. Whoa, wall-to-wall news cycle in NBA land. But that would be the same. That would be the same if 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 Aaron Rodgers said that. that well, but I'm continuing. I'm continuing. And then when he's playing on the Saturday ABC game, Jeff Van Gundy's going to talk about it, and he's going to go on and on about it. Versus the NFL, yeah, there there'll be media people. There'll be some media, and you know maybe ESPN. They don't want ESPN to do it, but ESPN will do it. But they're not going to talk about it on broadcast. And furthermore. Furthermore, there just seems to be more trust at ESPN that you'll want to hear about real football. They, I've, I've noticed they break down the playoffs. They have people. Yeah, they have the silly debate shows, but they have, what's his name? Is it Orvlovsky, the former quarterback? Or- Orlovsky, yeah, ben Orlovsky. Orlovsky. Yeah, I mean, he's just nerding out with some of the other football players really getting in there. They don't really trust that you're going to care about basketball like that. So it has drifted away from the game, certainly. And everybody's I think identifying that something is off right now and it's been off for a little while, but to what you're saying, I mean, it's got all these components. Technology is one of them. It's difficult to really get your arms around it. There's no one solution. Yeah. I mean, again, I I just go back to, I'm not even going to something nefarious or, or, Oh, like, Oh, they want to talk about vaccines. I'm talking about something very simple, a lot simpler than that, that where Ben Simmons is going is more of an important story in basketball than what the Sixers are doing on the court. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's what I'm talking about. Like, think about this. Five years ago, was it? What was the, the running back for, for the Steelers? I mean, off-speed. they've had a lot. No, no. The dude, he was, this dude was nuts. He was, like, super off-speed runner. Like, it was, he wasn't like Oh, yeah, team. yeah. He would wait for the blocks to form. Yeah. I'm drawing yeah. a total blank. It's, I can't remember his name. Yeah. But you remember, like he he sat he he sat out, right? Like, and then he ended up like sitting out the entire year, and then he signed with the Jets, and then he wasn't good anymore, and that was it, right? Yeah. But like him sitting out, like be, once we got to the season, like it was a story in camp. Once we got to the season, nobody cared. Nobody cared anymore. Nobody was doing updates. Nobody was asking, "Oh, are you guys going to do anything different?" Like it ceased to be a story. 
because the games and what was happening in the games trumped what's going to happen with this guy. Man, I, I'm drawing a blank. What's his name? Uh, I want to uh, say Le'Veon Bell, but I have no Le'Veon idea. Le'Veon Bell. Bell. That's that's it. Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell. That's it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Right. So, so it's like, like now, comparing the tragic, what's happening with Ben Simmons and Sixers, like, every other week we got like, oh, and the latest is, oh, we don't give a fuck about the money, whatever. But it's like, like yeah. Why is that the story? Why are we going back to Ben Simmons for more info or his camp? I, I, I have to say, I mean, I bang this drum a lot. I do think a lack of leadership is a problem. I do think that Adam Silver should be a stronger hand than he's been. I don't want to present it like he's an idiot. I don't want to present it like he's an incompetent. It was difficult to get the bubble off the ground in 2020. But you should be a stronger leader. And it does have consequences. I think per the Ben Simmons situation, for instance, I know the league doesn't like how Ben Simmons handled this. I know the league has Daryl Morey and the Sixers backs, whatever they want to do. However, they want to make Ben Simmons life difficult. They are with it because they view it as an existential problem if players can get out of contract. So the question I would ask is, why not then just represent that from the commissioner level? David Sturm would do that. They don't want to do it or Silver doesn't want to do it because he's uncomfortable. He wants to be Switzerland. He wants to be in the background. I think that invites something of a power vacuum and it helps fuel that kind of situation versus, nope, got to nip this in the bud. Exert pressure. Stern would exert pressure. Everybody was scared of Stern. I'm not saying that Stern would rig a playoff series against you. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying these teams weren't so sure. These teams that knew that, yes, the refs get tape sent to them of the points of emphasis. And gee, God, maybe that point of emphasis is the move that your star does. People were scared of Stern. People don't appear to be scared of Silver. And that informs how somebody like Ben Simmons might draw a situation like this one out. Adam Silver is like the... You ever watch the show on Netflix called Big Mouth? No. Okay, never mind. Then. <laughs> Sorry, I mean I can pretend if you want to tease out the analogy. No, no it's it's an analogy that you won't get, so it's, it's kind of irrelevant. It's yeah, like, but what about the people? You know, no, I don't know. I, like it's this isn't a very an app where I can very yeah, 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 yeah. I, I can't tell. It well, Sam is Fendiari calls him the substitute teacher and the stepdad and and all sorts of things. Those are the uh, the Adam yeah. Silver criticisms. I want to take uh, one question from JF and then. I, I do want to hit the uh, the Liz Cambridge <laughs> Cambridge yes. versus Hammond at least among the topics and take some of your other questions. Uh, so, <laughs> JF JF out of out of Canada. Yo, what's up, guys? Hey. Uh, so uh, you know, on this conversation, I think it's really uh, kind of you can't see the forest for the trees. Uh, because all this like debate talk, uh, you know, greatest of all time. Um, you know, Ben Simmons, whatever, that's all for like hardcore fans, right? You can't compare the NFL to the NFL on that basis. And mm-hmm. I think the real influential piece of LeBron uh, was him leaving to Miami, then Cleveland, and then LA, right? The player yeah. transaction movement. That is, you know, so impactful. And when you compare it to the NFL, like these players aren't going anywhere, right? Not until like very late in their years. Like, buff- like for example, Buffalo is probably would have be the worst, 
city the NBA would have, right? If they had a team. And there's no talk of Josh Allen leaving, right? Mm. And, you know, he's just been anointed. Same with like Casey and uh, Mahomes. Like Casey is not a glamour city and Mahomes is a glamour player. And there's been no, like he just signed a 10-year contract with no kind of doubt uh, that he'd leave anywhere. Same with Rodgers. Like he spent his entire career there, et cetera. And I think... LeBron moving brought a lot of interest individually, but I think in a greater scope, it really damages the product. And I'll say one anecdotal kind of story. Uh, I was living and working in Toronto uh, during the run to the finals and people in my office, uh, like, you know, 50 year old engineers, electrical engineers who never watched an NBA game in their life were glued to the TV, right? They were watching every game, probably from second round through finals. And they were just, you know, absolutely baffled that Kawhi left uh, that mm-hmm. summer, right? So I think LeBron leaving and being so ephemeral uh, to go, you know, change allegiances every four years really opened the door for guys like, you know, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. And like I said, you know, so uh, Canada, Toronto absolutely, you know, fell in love with that Raptors team. And all the kind of new fans that have drawn in were just like, what the hell? Like, our best player left a championship team? Yeah. Like, they just couldn't comprehend it. And, you know, no doubt they, you know, stopped. Well, it was as much attention. It, it was an indictment of your city and your country on a certain level. Uh, I, I long believe that heart of hearts, true serum, uh, the average Raptors fan in Toronto – uh, would have preferred to have lost that finals and Kawhi had chosen the Raptors, said, I feel so Canadian. My, uh, I bleed maple syrup. Oh my God, I love Toronto. It's so wonderful. That that at least is a validation of, of where you are. And, you know, like, people care about that stuff. And I do think it was always thus, JF a little bit that that players didn't really feel that connection that fans wanted them to feel but the noble lie has been ripped away and laid bare and it does seem like there needs to be some way to accommodate players to stay in these situations for a little longer to rebuild the noble lie but I mean is it just is it just gone everybody knows everybody knows that these players don't want to be in certain cities now and before I just want to address that one you know hypothesis you have about Toronto Raptors fans uh, so I would say maybe the hardcore fans would want that, uh, you know, in the short term. Like, I don't think they'd feel that today, but definitely mm. kind of like in the heathen moment, they would have said, yes, we would have traded that. Only the hardcore fans. For the casuals, they don't care. They're not into kind of the NBA world deep enough where they know that there's some sort of, um, you know, uh, resentment or whatever you'd have for players to sign into Canada. Mm. Mm. So I would say this. I would say, first of all, the NFL is much more of a transient league than the NBA. Mm. Yes, the quarterbacks don't move. I get it. Like Josh Allen, Mahomes, like we find one, you hold on for dear life. And that's it. But like everybody else is moving. Everybody else gets cut. Like the NFL, like good players get cut. You're like, he got cut? And they're like, that's the, that's the economics. We have to uh, the NFL stays, stands for not for long is the term. Right. So, so I disagree with the idea like, oh, it's the transient nature of the NBA. Like the reality is this, you, you, what you described there was real easy. It wasn't a bunch of fans who were glued to Kawhi Leonard, as great as he is. The bunch of fans glued to winning. You win, they don't give a shit who's wearing the jerseys. They don't give a shit. You think Golden State people are crying about Kevin Durant right now? When the team's back being good now? 
They don't care. They don't care. They really don't care. Like all they I care. I think is- that's a little. I think that I, that goes a little Dude. far for me. I think there's something to people enjoy seeing a team make that leap and organically grow into greatness, and that makes it special. I, I, I think I think people enjoy watching winners and everything else is trying to justify or trying to create a life philosophy around hard work and determination like no no you just give a shit that the team won you don't give a shit how it won like again like all those uh dudes that took steroids like do a poll of yankee fans how many of them like regret andy pettit being the yankee because mm. he was on the like nobody gives a shit you can never take away those 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 World Series. They, they might not give a shit, but there's something to the idea of branding and how you 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 increase that name ID, that presence in the culture. People have an mm. association with you and your jersey, and the more time you spend in a location, the easier I'm, it is for everybody to place. I'm talking. I'm not talking about for a player's individual business aspirations. Yeah. I'm talking about the Golden State Warriors. They don't give a shit as long as they win. If you told the Warriors today, hey, we could trade Steph Curry for Damian Lillard and we're going to win this. I'm Doc Brown. It just came from the future. Oh, yeah, this the is next, too, I don't, you don't even next, believe listen, this take. This, this, this is, is too much. You, let me tell you, you could trade Steph Curry for Damian Lillard today and you're going to win the next six NBA championships in a row with, without a shadow of a doubt they do it. Without a shadow of a doubt. I'm talking about if I can guarantee you that. Without a shadow, the reason why they don't do deals like that, and I'm not saying Steph is better than Dame or Dame is better than I'm not. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the reason why they don't do deals like that is because they don't know. They're like, I don't know if this is going to work out, and in the absence of knowing that it's going to work out, I'm going to stick with the thing that is continuing to make me money and continue to keep us successful and popular. But guarantee, hey, Demar Derozan is the example of that. Mr. Canada, Mr. This the dude that loved Toronto. I never want to leave. What you talking about? I want to retire. The greatest <laughs> and they traded him like that for a dude that they would they knew would leave in a year, and they won a championship. And not a single person who came out there in them streets in Toronto for the parade and all that said, "Demar would have been better here." Like, no, they don't give a fuck. Everyone wants a winner, and you lie to yourselves every day when you say it's like, "Oh, and I want someone who cares about me for me." No, you don't. You want a team that wins. That's all you care about. So that that's that's one thing there. The other thing is, LeBron was not the first player to say, "I don't want to play there." <laughs> Shaq, Shaq, Kareem, Steve Francis, uh, uh, Danny Ferry. I think LeBron Anthony had the McDyce. the one the one and one was a fairly novel. No, the one I mean, sure, sure. Like Jordan did one and one and one. But, like, we don't look at that one, do we? We don't think, oh, what Jordan was holding his, their feet over the coals the second time around to make sure they did everything the way he liked it. We don't talk about that, right? Why? Because it doesn't fit what we want to say. We want to say, oh, LeBron did all of this. Da, da, da. And so to have other examples, no, 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 this isn't the first time this happened. It's happened before here and here and here and here. Well, and, and, and ownership. And, and, ownership. And let's, by the way, and yeah. let's, let's not forget David Falk's merry band of players in the mid-'90s who signed seven-year deals with an opt-out after one. That's the same thing as a one-on-one, buddy. I'm sorry. The only difference is you can't do that nowadays. They invalidated it out of collective bargaining agreement. But if but, LeBron could have signed a 10-year deal with an opt-out after two, you don't think he would have done that or after after one? He wasn't going to keep doing one-on-ones. Well, a, a lot of it, too, is that the owners didn't like the long contract, so they changed the collective bargaining agreement to make the contract shorter, but there's no free lunch. Uh, yes. you, there are... 
exchanges. You exchanged you exchanged your what do we want to say your risk for something else. Mm-hmm. They gave up power is what they did. They gave up power to the best players. Well, no, the other thing they didn't recognize, and it's just dumb because you're the owners and you're the ones that have all this information at your hand, is that the TV deals were going up. And so the salary cap was going to go up. And the reason why LeBron was able to do one and one it wasn't just the case of, oh, I'm going to hold their feet to the fire and whatever and make sure whatever. It was because his contract under the collective bargaining agreement was only eligible for like an 8% bump but the salary cap was climbing forget about the huge jump of 2016 it was climbing at faster than eight percent the inflation on the salary cap was higher than what his raises would have been so if he signs a one 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 deal for four years he would end up making more money over those four years than had he signed a four-year deal and for lebron he could he could risk that because obviously he has hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars already made. So at that point for him, it's like, yes, I can play this somewhat risky play in a way that Kevin Love couldn't because Kevin Love, like, I have like 70 million in the bank, which is a lot of money, but still not, not LeBron money where I can like afford to risk everything in order to go, you know, year by year. So there's a lot of math and economics there that allowed LeBron to do this stuff, but he wasn't hardly the first and, Hardly revolutionary. Now, the difference is this, a couple of things. One, again, the rise of social media and particularly Twitter as a method of news dissemination. So LeBron's decision was the first time I remember having to check Twitter to see if something happened. Yeah. Right? Like, it's like there's two events I think of, of Twitter being the first to tell us the news. One, LeBron's decision. Two, Osama bin Laden killing huh like that i found that out on twitter and i was like this can't be real and then like hey the president has an address like is this really happening and he walks up in a little cool walk and he says hey man and we, we took out the, the sound of the line. Like, oh shit twitter was right like those are the two things that i remember that i learned from twitter before everything else i i don't That's- want to derail that the conversation completely but uh, I'm not saying I believe in the conspiracy theory on that one. I'm not saying it. I'm not saying that I believe it. But if I had to choose, I mean, one conspiracy theory above all the conspiracy theories, you, you, you got to make me choose one. I'm going to take the one where we took out bin Laden and dumped the body in an unmarked location in the ocean that will never tell anybody. That's the one I'm going to choose. That's all I'm saying. All right. Congratulations. <laughs> I, I thought I would get more interplay off that with I don't, that. Like, I just, to me, is like, okay, so they didn't kill Bin Laden and, like, he decided to just play nice? Hey, I don't have all the blanks filled out beyond. <laughs> That's that. what I'm saying. Like, like this sometimes, like, or so or just, or they just shot. They shot a guy. Like, oh shit, this isn't Bin Laden. Yeah, what do no, we do? Maybe they did. Maybe he'd been dead for years already. And when we were chasing a boog a boogeyman ghost, then like, well, let's just say that we killed this guy and, and this guy. Maybe that's true. The, the, the foresight of uh, of Obama. They they took him out in two, uh, 2009. He said, "No." We we need to cash this later. Like we might we need this capital oh, no. later. Well, I'm saying like you know maybe it was something that happened you know pre Obama. Maybe one of those you know drone strikes under Bush or the one that took him out. But it was never confirmed. But we haven't seen or heard from him. And it's like it's been a couple of years now. We might as well try this. You want to try this? All right, let's try it. Like maybe that's it. 
But I guess my thing is like, I don't think he's alive somewhere. No. Just, like he just decided, all right, you guys win. Or, or maybe maybe he maybe he died already like from kidney failure. Like they, they walked in and he's already dead. Like shit. But well, that's not as heroic, right? Like the guy just passed away. No, no, no. Shoot him up a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, shoot yeah. him up a couple of times, dump the body, undisclosed location. Guy, who knows? Maybe there's a member of SEAL Team 6 on the call and they're just enraged and they were there and they're just so yeah. pissed off right no, now. No, no, no. But... It's not, it's not going to be SEAL Team. It's going to be SEAL Team 5. It's like, <laughs> oh, those assholes at 60, they're so hot. I know what really happened. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, okay. So we need to, you know, because we've been, we're, we're having a good time. We're talking. We're not getting all the topics. But uh, Cambridge Hammond, this topic, this topic is an interesting topic. Umbridge. For those for those who do not know, for those who do not know, so Becky Hammond, Spurs assistant coach, uh, a lot of people thought she would be the first women's NBA head coach. Uh, that was a whole discussion topic. I think she was really playing hardball with a lot of uh, other suitors. Uh, she was saying, no, 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 I want to be the first NBA head coach. Um, and there were college teams that came to her and eventually – she does leave the Spurs, as they are no longer good, uh, and becomes head coach of the Las Vegas Aces, owned by apparently Mark Davis, bull haircut, Raiders owner guy. Um, and for $1 million, I believe, is the salary. And the star of the Aces, Liz Cambage. Well, she's a free uh, agent, so. Oh, free agent. Well, you know, see, I'm already screwing this up. Yeah, this is me an expository. Uh, okay, I'll do the short version. Uh, Liz Cambage slash Cambage uh, took a shot at Hammond for making all this money because Cambage's salary is like $220,000. Boom. Is that a good enough expository? Yeah, yes, Am I missing yes. something? Nope, that's about it. Well, what do you think about this, I mean? Well, I, I think it's... It's, it's uh, like I, I chuckled. I was like, "WNBA players." This is gonna sound. This is gonna sound awkward, but WNBA players seem to have the least grasp on the economics of their reality of mm. any prof- of every, of any professional athlete. It's like Liz Cambage is mad that Becky Hammond is getting paid four times as much or whatever it is as the highest paid player in the WNBA. But why is that? Is it because the teams don't have the wherewithal to pay the players? Or is it because you guys agreed to a collective bargaining agreement that sets your maximum salary or what it is? Yeah. And, has a, and I had a hard salary cap. And all this, it's like they literally couldn't pay you anymore. They paid you every last available dollar. Now, if you don't like it, there are other options. They're not as attractive to you, right? You could say, I, I, like, I'm not saying, if you don't like it, go to Europe, right? But I'm saying, like, if you don't like it, there's literally, they have you over a barrel. You don't have any options. You have no leverage. Becky Hammond has options and leverage. Yeah. Because for Becky Hammond, they say, hey, come coach our team. Okay, how much you offered? $100,000. Uh, never mind. I'll just stay in the NBA as an assistant coach and make more money and travel first class and go on charter and stay at a five-star hotel and, you know, continue to wait for my opportunity here on the NBA level. So it's like, okay, how about 200000 Not good enough. I still like my life more. 500000 A million. Okay, now you're talking. Yep. That's all yep. it comes down. That's simple economics leverage. It has nothing to do with, uh, you know, I mean, like, I guess, like, the bigger issue is the collective bargaining agreement. It's unfair, but 
unfair is unfair, man. Like, I mean, well, maybe it's the idea. Look, I, I think Cambridge is somebody who has often come off as narcissistic and angry, and I feel like everybody who covers that league tiptoes around her because they don't want to get they don't want to get attacked. But I do think she's not onto nothing here. That. Is Hammond worth a million dollars? I mean, no, she has the no, leverage but, to negotiate oh, it, but is but she worth that? Is she going to be better than these other hey coaches? Man, hey, man, I'm, I'm going to tell you a line that is said a long time ago. Did someone agree to pay her that? Yes. Okay, is she worth it? <laughs> do, do we apply that to, to, to Jerome James, you know, to, yes. to Eric Dampier? Yes. What's Jerome James' market value? It's whatever the Knicks ended up paying him. Because someone paid them. That's what it comes down to. If you can create a situation where you have the leverage to ask for a dollar amount and you receive said dollar amount, guess what? That's what you're worth. Now, can you then later on not produce up to that point? Sure. That happens all the time. But Liz Cambridge's beef is not. Hello? Amin, you slightly dropped off. Well, we hope to get Amin back. Yeah. I'm going to oh. do... Oh, okay. but, the, but you were saying. Uh-oh, folks. Technical difficulties. Okay, well, in the meantime, I'm going to take a question from Wynn. We're going to do lightning round because we probably got to get out of here in the next 10 minutes or so. So, Win, Win, as we wait for Amin's yep. technology to come back, Win, what is your question? Yeah, I mean, what do you think the source of Hammond's leverage is in this situation? I think, I mean, you know, some might argue that it has, like, really nothing to do with her ability. I mean, she has no experience head coaching. How is she making four times the biggest player? I think that's more of the yeah. sort of sentiment oh, I'm getting. Um, but- and she's, she's kind of shorting the stock, right? She's saying if she's not worth that, and you're the biggest player in the league, and you're commenting on that, you can believe that there are a lot of players feeling bad about it that might not sure. have the position to argue. But I'll hang up. Thanks, guys. So, so, when, so, so, when, so this is my thing. And this, this goes back to the Ted Cruz and, and the Aaron Rodgers and all, all that stuff. It's like, for five years, I've had to hear from people about, oh, my God, how does Becky Hammond not have an NBA job? Oh, my God. It's, this is a whole other thing. Oh, my yeah. God. Becky's the one. And you guys always see your sexist to me for saying that she can't go from behind the bench to a head coaching job. And now she gets it and she gets paid. And now they want to ask why she getting paid that much. <laughs> wait, Can we wait, talk about even, that? How do, how do we, we even know she's that like? How do we even know that she's that good? It's amazing that that question can now be asked. Out loud. Why? Yeah. Because Liz Cambridge threw it through a fit about it. Yeah. I mean, can we talk about that? Because that was very strange to witness for a few years that you had people, some in media, some NBA Twitter, just lobbying for Hammond to take over a team when, hey, I'm not hearing that when I talk to people in the NBA that she's on that level. That's not something that people think. That's not something the San Antonio Spurs thought. You could read between the lines of it. And I guess we can talk freely now that she's making a million dollars. Congratulations and all that. But it is utterly bizarre to me that it's so hard to know if people are good coaches, especially if they've never coached a team before. 
And nobody, none of these people, none of these people on NBA Twitter or whatever have any sort of sourcing in San Antonio. It's not an easy place to get sourcing into. And they're just confident about it because they want it and they want it according to what she represents. It was just very odd to see it. Yeah, it was. So the thing that I said at the time, this is when she was the second row coach. This is before, I can't remember who left. I think it was Borrego before Borrego left. She was a second row coach. And I said, in the NBA, like she had gotten an interview with Milwaukee, if, if, if memory serves me correctly. And I was like, that's kind of preposterous. A behind the bench coach getting an interviewing job for a head coach doesn't, job? Doesn't happen. Doesn't that doesn't happen. happen. That doesn't happen. And like the only reason to do that, I said, is because you want the good press. You're not really about to do this. Yeah. It's, it's no different than Brian Flores getting an interview with with the with the Giants, right? Except for the fact that Brian Flores has been a head coach, but yeah. like it's just the same concept of like you have no intention of hiring this person. You're it's just kabuki. It. Yes, it's you're just doing it to to signal to people. Oh, look, see, we tried. We asked everybody. Oh, we we liked him in the interview process. We liked her in the interview process. So I said that people went nuts, and I was like, "What are you talking about?" And I said, this is how it is. Well, Jason Kidd was playing. Like, Jason Kidd played in the league. Well, she played in the WNBA. I was like, well, take her out to the WNBA then. Like, yeah. This is the reality. If you played in this league, you were basically made a down payment on, I get the shortcut line somewhere down the line. That's just the way it is. And by the way, that's how it should be because this game is built on the backs of these players. Like these guys, are the, the league is where it is. Because of the Jason Kidds, the Steve Nashes, the Mark Jacksons, the Doc Riverses of the world. They did it. They built it. They get to skip that line. They're, what's their credentials? Their credentials, I played in this goddamn league. Yeah. For the rest of us, whether you're someone lowly like me who never got out of high school, or you're someone like David Vanterpool who had an amazing career overseas, or, or someone like Becky Hammond who had an amazing career overseas and in the WNBA, the rest of us have a different path. Our path is... Okay, so if you're one of those people who played, it's like, okay, I start off as a player development coach, and then I, you know, I'm behind the bench, and then they give me a couple of scouts, and then after a while, someone leaves or whatever, and then I get to the front of the bench, and I get a little bit more uh, uh, responsibility and scouts and da-da-da, and then, you know, some organizations like Miami have it is very organized. Then you go to the G League, and you're our G League coach for two or three years. Some don't. Some just say, hey, wait, wait a second. Someone's going to get hired, and then when they do, you get to move over, and then you're the lead assistant, and then you get a job somewhere else. And, yes, people like Steven Silas waited 25 years to get his his first job. And Wes Unsell waited a million years. And uh, Jamal Mosley waited a million years. See, Silas Mosley, waited 25 – he looks great, by the way, for yeah. that kind of – I mean, he's a young-looking yeah. guy. Sorry, I'm just yeah. saying. I mean, the craziest uh, is that when they were saying, like, Tim well, Duncan but, but, skipped but, but, the line ahead of Becky Hammond. Yeah. Like, are, you, yeah. are you fucking high? Are you high? It's Kim Duncan. Right. So, so it's like, and you know, by the way, David Vanderpool is still waiting. Darvin Ham is still waiting, right? Like, there are dudes who are, they still haven't gotten that. So the idea that someone could go from behind the bench to a head coaching job in a span of like two, two three years of being behind the bench, like, yeah, that's unheard of. That's like, it, whatever. So I got called a sexist and this, that, and the other. So then, I, like, I just did my thing. I was like, you keep saying that Becky Ham is a great coach. How do you know? You at practice with him? You in there? You in the gym with him? 
like you well well uh, uh they said uh you know uh, pop said she's a great coach i'm like you find me the quote of the head coach and said my assistant coach ain't shit <laughs> or also the Spurs, the kings of the foisteens yeah. no, in the well, NBA. I'm not even. I'm not even going. I'm not even going down that path. I'm just saying. Well, your your frustration. I know. I know. I know. I know about the foisteens, but I'm saying yeah. like you can have an argument that's so much stronger that doesn't go down that road because the argument is you show me the head coach who shits on his assistant coach because that's the proof they give you. They say, well, so-and-so said so. All right, well, tell me the, the, the coach who doesn't do that, like who, who doesn't like big up their assistants, right? All right, and then, so it's like, so where are you getting this from? You're getting it from, from media people who say that she's a good coach? Okay, media people who have something to gain is an access. They're rooting for a story. I mean, that's well, the not, thing. not even a story. Not even a story. We know. We know the deal absolutely. Which is, hey, you tell me what's happening, and I'll say good things about you. You, hey, so and so, the next GM should be hot on the GM. So says who? Says who? Because, because what? Because because this person's been feeding you info. Now we got. Now we have to hear how great they are. It, like it's the Neil O'Shea thing. Like the Woj is going down on the Titanic. Singing the song of Neil O'Shea, I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? Like, it's completely so. So, like, again, so people ask me, I mean, how do you know who's going to be a good coach? I say, I know why. One of two things. One is I've worked with this person. One of three ways. Number one is I've seen them coach somewhere else, right? So Igor Kokoshkov, who is an assistant with, um, where's Igor now? Igor, yeah, I, can't remember. I don't know where he Igor. ended up. Quick, yeah. quick cup I just of coffee saw, in his head I coaching. Saw, <laughs> I just saw, I just, he's on the bench somewhere because I've seen him recently when I was watching. So Igor was a head coach of the Georgian national team and head coach in, uh, of the Slovenian national team, right? I've seen him coach high pressure, high stakes basketball and be great at it. He came to Phoenix. It wasn't a great opportunity for him because, like, he had zero support organizationally, starting with, hey, who do you think we should take with number one overall pick? I'm saying Luka Doncic. Ah, I think DeAndre. Like, you start there, it's like, okay, mm-hmm. where do you go from here, right? So I can go out there and say, I know he goes a good coach because I've seen him coach because I've been in a room with him as he's coming up with stuff. I know that. I know Mike D'Antoni's a good coach because I've been in the room with him, right? I know Greg Popovich is a great coach because I've had to like help game plan against him. I know uh, uh, Nick Nurse is a great coach because I've seen him as, a, as our G League coach, and I've seen him, uh, you know, uh, as as kind of a coach elsewhere, right? I know Chris Finch is a good coach because I've seen him coach uh, GB basketball. You tell me. I asked them, "What? How do you know Ricky um, Hams is a good coach?" You know what they say to me? Summer league. Oh, you mean the thing where mm-hmm. after the third game, everybody's rooting for their team to lose so we can go home? That thing? Do y'all know about that? I don't think y'all know about that, that most NBA teams are not trying to win Summer League. They're trying cool. to get the fuck out of Summer League as soon as they got they saw their young guys play three games. All right, we're good. Yeah. I mean, you don't know what you don't know is the thing. I think at some level but, they think but, it's all bullshit. They think it's just, people, it's yeah. just it's all, you know, you, you hold a clipboard and there's Dude, nothing else that goes into it. Oh, it just, it's just because it's, I like you and, you know, it's so factual. That's it. You know, um, uh, I was on the radio with, and my co-host couldn't believe that Cam Reddish isn't playing for the Knicks. And I said, buddy, if 
in the draft, they got rumors about your work ethic. And you go to Atlanta and you don't get to play because of your work ethic. And you get to New York and you're not playing. It's not the coach. It's probably your work ethic. I, was like, I don't know. I'm not reporting. I have no idea. I'll do the Mike Greenberg. But I'm telling you that, like, he's obviously not meeting the expectations. Like, oh, in two weeks? I'm like, yeah. Because your thing about two weeks, like, it's only been five games or whatever. But two weeks for them is a lifetime. There's an infinite amount of touch points, whether it's what time you showed up to the training table. Did you do your corrective exercises? Are you going hard in practice? Are you doing the drills? Are you competing? Are you building, like, all of these things. Are you on the first bus or the second bus? There's a million things that are happening that you don't know fucking dick about. You'll never know about unless you're there. So, like, sometimes you have to read between the lines, how is it this guy who's so talented, da 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 doesn't play in like in wherever he goes, and sometimes <gasps> shock of the life, it might be their fault. Same yeah. thing. It's like so. It's like the the biggest thing about basketball Twitter, if you want to call it that. And again, I don't talk about fans. I don't give a shit. Fans are, are fans for reason. You get to say whatever you want and be irrational. I do it in other sports. I don't blame you, whatever. But if you're someone who covers or like aspires to cover this game. And you're not asking these questions. You're just blind with it because that's the right, quote unquote right thing to do. Absolutely, it's the right thing to do for for a, a qualified woman to have the same opportunities that a qualified man has. Absolutely, but it's like you can't go to bat blindly for people. That just doesn't make sense. Yeah, I mean, I want to take these last two calls and get on out of here, but there is this element of how people react to what they see as though that's the only thing there. And that's one of the big things that was revealed to me when I started just being a beat writer is that you really don't know shit. As a fan, I would go, oh my God, the coach didn't play this guy because the coach is an idiot. This guy had X amount of rebounds and points. And then you realize, oh, he showed up drunk. And that's why he's not in the game. You know, there's so much stuff that you never end up knowing about that informs the decision-making process. And all these people can be idiots and they can be incompetent and everything else, but you got to know sometimes what you don't know. So let me just take a question from Chicago man, Cupcakes. I know we've kept him waiting a while. How you doing, man? I'm good, fellas. How are you this evening? Doing great. Hey, real quick, Kakashkov is in uh, Dallas on Jason Kidd's back. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, hey, I want, I got a basketball question, but just real quick, um, I have to double back to the Rogers thing as much as COVID conversation wants me, makes me want to, uh, put an icicle <laughs> through my eye. Um, <laughs> you know, look, man, Ethan, by all means, like roast the blue check marks, scold the scolders, you know, um, I get that. I get that side of it. But in regards to the Rogers intelligence question off the field, I think there's a much larger group of people who either never considered it or really don't care about whether mm. he's smart or not until he opened his mouth and started saying all kinds of dumb shit and sounding like an idiot about COVID. Like, like, uh, you know, not all subject matter is equal, you know, like when Kyrie said the, the yeah. earth is flat, um, it doesn't, you know. Like, a story about Rogers on Jeopardy, you're saying, is not going to make as many shockwaves and get through to as many people as what he's saying about the vaccines. Yeah, because absolutely, because of just the, the impact it's had. I mean, like, you know, the it's just like it's a huge, weighty, personal thing for people. And that's why 
it fuels yeah. all the it's, outreach. It's like Israel Palestine if Israel Palestine impacted literally everybody on earth. Right. Uh, that that issue right. is right. Um, so I I I um have been thinking about the NBA and if you kind of put aside the league office and everything you don't like about the silver regime and focus on like, okay, what is basketball at the highest level? Like the highest levels of professional basketball. Um, I'm just hypothetical. I'm wondering who you guys, if you could appoint like a wise Mm. council of like the most pure hearted, just about the right things. People you've met had experience, like let's say 12. Joe Rogan. Uh, yeah, sorry, right. you're saying. <laughs> yeah, McAfee, Roger. No. <laughs> but uh, I, I just want to know, like, all right, like, who do you trust to um, steward the game? If you could just give, like, you know, I don't know, Hubie Brown, who you who you picking? Yeah, you, you're identifying an issue, which is that the trusted sources for me, I instantly think of, are very old because I start thinking, oh yeah, like Hubie Brown and you know Bill Russell and Jerry West and. I mean, what is the, can we get some Gen Xers in there? Can they be part of this somehow? I mean, I do think, I know Steve Kerr, uh, Warriors fans can uh, dislike this or that sometimes. Actually, that's, that's, that's me getting too Twitter-brained. I mean, Warriors fans love Steve Kerr. The normie Warriors fan loves Steve Kerr. I think Kerr would be pretty good on the council. I think he, he cares about the spirit of the game, sometimes in an old man way, but he could be a good uh, he could be a good addition to that council. I mean, I know I'm going with the coach I covered, so that's not exactly me stretching myself. But Amin, does anybody come to mind as uh, the wise can- council on this? Uh oh, the technology dropped off again. Let's see if we can invite Amin to speak. Let's see if we can make him a caller. There we go. I'm going to try to come up with some names for the council uh, after I take this question from Joe. (laughs) This is what I'm going to do. And maybe Amin comes back. Maybe he doesn't. We shall see. Joe, 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 Joe. Sorry, I'm an idiot. Forgot to do the unmute thing. It's okay, buddy. What's up? Yeah, yeah. Hey, um... Quick thing, obviously you've written this out, so hopefully I'm concise. Um, I mean, I've got I've got a bit of pushback for you, mate. I've got a bit of pushback for you. Love you this. Said that, you said that if the uh, if if the Golden State Warriors fan was offered a, a magical trade for Steph Curry for Damian Lillard, and it guaranteed them six titles in a row, they'd do it. And I strongly <laughs> disagree with that because um, it's the guarantee part. They, they would love to have a, a future, imagine a future in which they, they won six titles in a row, but it's the guarantee part. And I think that the guaranteeing sort of goes against the essence of, you know, competition and why we love sports, right? So when you, and I kind of want to synthesize, synthesize this into a point that I thought you, that I agreed with you on, which was that the NFL isn't, doesn't seem to be affected by the transients, right? But the NBA does. And I'd point to two things. One is that LeBron's, popularity to me seems to be very affected well this is my this is my hypothesis anyway seems to be really affected by the fact that he stacked his teams it just diminishes his accomplishments Mm. um and and similar wise the nba has been really really hurt in my views by by the golden state warriors signing durant i think it, it it just cheapened the competition 
And that's why <laughs> that's why the NBA, in my view, has has suffered the decline in popularity it has since that point. Um, so yeah, so I just wanted to give you the pushback there and uh, see what you thought about that as a as a theory for why uh, for the for the decline in popularity. I would say that you're conflating what's good for the league versus what's good for the team. The mm-hmm. Warriors don't give a shit about competitiveness, about does this drive people away or not. They don't care. You give me six rings, I'm not going to. But then I won't be fair anymore. Nope. They want to take all six of them, just like the Celtics wanted all eight of those ones in a row, just like Michael wanted six for six. Everyone will take as many as they possibly can, give a damn about what this means for the rest of the league. With regards to, now, from a league standpoint, you're saying that, oh, this is bad, bad for basketball when Durant goes to the Warriors. Uh, Again, I disagree because every bit of data in American professional sports points to one thing. Super teams make money for everybody because there is an increased attention to people. Everyone wants to either see how great this thing can be or they want to see them fail. And the Warriors and even LeBron with what you said called team sacking or no uh, no exceptions to that. And I know, Ethan, you have the data to back it up. The finals since then have been competitive and no one knows who's going to win the title and have been nowhere near the ratings that Cavs Warriors have, have gotten. Yeah, I think there's something more complicated. I think there is something about the KD decision that made the Warriors – uh, still a huge brand that everybody wanted to watch. But at the same time, did seem to diminish the league overall. And that just seems like that's what happened. At least it's what's correlating with what's happened, right? I think there's something I think there's something to what Joe's saying and there's something to what you're saying. And we're all just trying to identify what the hell's happened with the league, why it doesn't seem to be hitting the way it does. And it's partially why I think John Morant right now has an outsized importance to the NBA. If you care about the NBA as a product, as a cultural force, I almost feel like this one guy out in little Memphis is just this huge, I, I don't know. Like there, I, I know I'm taking this in a direction we're not even, we're not even discussing, but it's like something's happened to me. He, okay. Okay. So this is a good thing to end on. I mean, it's easy to say what's happening. Well, it's easy. It's new. No, 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 not with that. Not, not with that. Not with that. What happened? Like, what, what accounts for this? What accounts for the NBA losing half its audience? I know that for whatever reason, this is a topic that has come up frequently. I've talked about it frequently, but I feel like I've never gotten your theory on what happened looking back, taking stock. And I'd be curious about that. We can end on that. Um, what happened? I, I I don't like I, I think there's a lot of things that are happening. I think there's a the dwindling of linear television. I, I told you about like how the NBA leads all professional sports in this country in terms of digital and social engagement because they embraced it. But, you know, now they embrace it so much and they made it so convenient that you have people who aren't watching the games. Uh, I think part of it is the the transition or the shift to by the entity to cover the game into being more about transactions rather than things that are actually happening on the court. I think um, you can also put some on um, the idea that 
like these people are are um, more into some of the other thing, sports that are more gambling friendly, fantasy friendly. I think all of these things are, are contributing factors. I think ESPN fired me in 2017. Yeah, that, that's, that's really what the plan I think that was that's the That's true. Look, hey, man, we were at the top of the world. We had the most read article <laughs> in the history of the website. Jump was, was nominated for an Emmy. Like, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you, man. <laughs> I'm half kidding when I say it, but I'm not totally kidding when I say it. When you talk about transactions being foregrounded, I do think there is a certain hire there, and it's not even a criticism I can make because people would say it's sour grapes. But the shift in coverage does matter from the main broadcaster, the main sports channel, and I think it's maybe the most underrated factor in what happened since that point. So, did you want my names for this committee, by the way? Oh, yes. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. The committee to fix basketball, to save basketball. Number one, me. <laughs> and for, just to have my voice heard on one issue and one issue only. Do not have all-star games in shitty cold weather cities. Oh, we actually are going to touch on that topic. Oh, my God. The outro. It, I don't want to sit around and talk to my NFL media buddies who laugh. They guffaw. You know what the next four Super Bowls are? L.A., Phoenix, Vegas, New Orleans. I don't know, man. This Cleveland story, it's quite the time to oh highlight God. the resurgent what? Cleveland Cavaliers. Introduce them to America. You know, you know how many Super Bowls Chicago has hosted? None. Chicago with this historic franchise. Chicago with this historic uh, landmark of a stadium. You know how many they've hosted? Zero. Nada. Not once. <laughs> Green Bay, zero. Nada, not once. Matter of fact, you know the Super Bowl has been in a cold weather city six times in its history? Six times. Six times. Six. In, I, we're in we're the Super Bowl, what, 56 or whatever? Yeah. I mean, I, I do agree with you. I do agree with you on this. I mean, not in my contempt for these cities. I think... They're perfectly fine cities in many ways, but you're selling an extravaganza. You're selling a festival. It translates on television. And even the nice cities they go to are the biggest cities they go to. When they went to frigid Toronto, when they went to New York City, I was at that one. It was freezing. It's not an event. It doesn't feel special. It's not big. It makes more sense to have it in L.A. every year. That's my no, not, Well, no, I mean, like, it's real easy. These, here are your cities. L.A., Phoenix, Houston, New Orleans, Miami, even though I know Yacht Week coincides that I'll never be there. I'll give you an Atlanta. I'll give you an Orlando. So people don't say I just want cold city, uh, like big market cities. Uh, did I mention New Orleans? New Orleans is in there too. And then one, so I think that's up to, I'm up to eight right there. Yep. Every ninth year, you go somewhere that doesn't have an NBA t- team there. So whether that's Vegas, whether that's Ooh. Vancouver, whether that's London, whatever. And then every 10th year, you want to give Minnesota or Salt Lake or Sacramento? Okay. Every 10th year, you get it. But stop with this ridiculousness, Cleveland, Indiana, Salt Lake, Chicago. No one wants to be in these places. 
these miserable ass towns. <laughs> I might want Salt Lake in the winter. You know, no, man, I don't. <laughs> I've been there. Salt Lake's in my top five flyover. Salt Lake's in my top five, top five road cities. I like that. That's my hipster choice. It gets a reaction out of people. <laughs> You're such an asshole. But yeah, no, so it's, it's, it's like, uh, it's, it's just, it's ridiculous, man. Like, so I like, I, that would be my place on the committee. Just like, hey, let's stop with all this dumb all-star shit. Man, like even even the NHL is like, yeah, we're doing our all-star game in Vegas. I'm like, yeah, why are we doing this to ourselves? I don't know. It's some little reward to certain owners for building an arena. And I don't know why it's a reward. I mean, maybe they get some gate revenue out of it. Who knows? But it just seems like you should make your all-star weekend feel special and not uh, freezing. So with that, thanks so much to Amin. Fantastic episode. Uh, Thanks to the callers. Thanks to the questioners. Amin, do you have anything to plug on the way out? Yes. Uh, Wow. Cinephobe. Cinephobe podcast where Zach Harper and I watch movies. They're rotten tomatoes, poorly rated, and we try to ascertain whether they are accurately poorly rated or didn't get a fair shake. Cinephobe, produced by Anthony Bays, where we get podcasts. And uh, I would plug my basketball show with Tom Haberstro, the Haber Show. Go ahead and check that out. But there's some changes that are afoot. Mm. I think changes that are going to rock the way you consume basketball podcasts. Well, there you have it. Amin Alhassan, he's more pod than man, folks. Thanks to all of you. Get some sleep. It's late. See you next time.